the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us in a couple of places. Facebook, Mm -hmm. The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted, and uh, any like and review and subscribe actually does help us, and it helps uh, adjust the algorithm so that more eyes can see it. So uh, in any way that you can engage, that would help us a lot. Plus, you can text us. The number is 68683, and then before your message, just type CG for Common Good, and then your question, your thought, your anecdote. If you have suggestions for stories or angles or perspectives, uh, we really, really, truly would love to uh, to hear your perspective because that's kind of the goal. The goal for us is to to lean in when maybe the uh, temptation is to lean away, and I think this next conversation fits that bill uh, perfectly because what I want to talk about is uh, s- some of our connection. Or interwovenness, if I may. If I don't think that's a word. I think it's a word. It works. <laughs> Is it? All it right. works. Some of our interwovenness, then, with uh, how we perceive the morality of politicians and how um, accountable we hold them to when it comes to moral behavior. And we've actually dipped a toe in these waters right. a couple times before, but we've we've never quite gone in like this, um, mostly because there was a, a story out of the Washington Post and the headline intrigued both of us. It just says how Trump has changed white evangelicals' views about morality. Why don't you let us in on a little bit what's going yeah, on? Yeah, and I think you you prefaced it really well. And what makes this article interesting is that it's driven by statistics. It's driven by survey. And, you know, those can have holes to them. But it's it's not just like you say anecdotal where we're like, well, it feels like. Right, it's not a puff piece. <clears throat> so let me give you some of the stats that come out. And I, I think what we want to do is just. You know, we, we're not having this conversation in order to kind of beat anyone over the head. I think you and I are just wrestling with it as uh-huh. pastors, as white evangelicals as who are in yep. this, uh, you know, who are part of this uh, survey. Uh, we are just trying to figure out what does this say about us and uh, is this problematic? Is it something to be worried about? And so the Washington Post is reporting uh, on a poll called the Public Religion Research Institute and the Religion News Service did a poll And its finding is this, from 2011 to 2016, uh, self-identified white evangelicals dramatically changed their minds about the importance of politicians' private behavior. Mm. So in 2011, uh, that group of people specifically, white evangelical, found that 60% believe that the public official who commits an immoral act in their personal life cannot still behave ethically and fulfill their duties in their public and professional life. So 60%, it's a big Mm. number. In October of 2016, in the exact same poll, 
uh, after which happened to coincide with the release of the infamous Access Hollywood tape during the um, uh, during the Republican um, kind of the lead up to the election. Uh, that exact same question was asked and not 60 percent, but this time only 20 percent of evangelicals answering the same question said that private immorality meant somebody could not behave ethically in public. And it was weird because there there was not the same variation in other groups. It was mm. very specifically uh, about the white evangelicals where there was this major move. And then there was another interesting skit study in 2018 uh, that basically uh, asked the same question about uh, about Donald Trump and then asked the same question about Bill Clinton. And it said white evangelicals had a substantially different reaction when asked about Trump or Clinton. When primed to think about Trump, only 6% of them said that an elected official who acts immorally in private is incapable of being ethical in the public life. But when the exact same question was asked, but Bill Clinton's name was inserted in, that immediately rose to 27%, which was obviously a difference of 21%. And so they, the article says, in short, white evangelicals are far more likely to shift their view of a politician's private behavior when asked about Trump than when asked about Clinton. And so it, I think it's just this whole stew that you and I were talking about off air going, I don't even sure what to, what to make of this, like why it is. Like we're not trying to make some big political stand here or anything. We're just kind of asking the question, what's behind this? Is it simply party loyalty? Is it certainly an ends justify the means? Uh, what exactly is going on here? What, what do you think is going on here? I knew you were going to turn it on. <laughs> I think it's party loyalty. I think it is. In what, in what way? Uh, I think uh, I think increasingly a lot of us see our politicians as uh, as a means to an end. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. In fact, I've gone on record on our show saying, for me, the morality of our politicians matters a lot for me. So this is not me talking how I feel, but you asked, what do I think is going on in this? For me, uh, the morality of the politician, I think the leader, uh, uh, the face of the country is very important. And it affects the way I vote. Um, but with that said, I think what's going on behind this study in general is I think I don't think a lot of people view their politicians the same way. Hmm. And so I think that it becomes uh, the politician. They're looking for the politician who is going to most move forward the agenda that they agree with. OK. And therefore, if you've got to put up. So to be able to rail against Bill Clinton was more to try to stop a politician who maybe was was putting forth policies that person X or Y didn't believe in, right? And so um, that's off the top of my head. That's what I think's going on. Like I don't, I wouldn't think that most of the people in this poll or most of the people who back either Bill Clinton or Donald Trump are going to be like, that's the most moral guy I know, right? <laughs> I think they're saying, you know what? Uh, I see benefits in Bill Clinton's policies, or I see benefits in Donald Trump's administration that I'm willing to put up with this other stuff. That when I didn't like what they were going to do, I wasn't willing to put up with. You see it all the time. You saw the clips going around around Facebook of the things that like a senator like Lindsey Graham said during the Bill Clinton impeachment hearings uh, that are damning compared to what he's saying now. It's just crazy that there's it's hard to call it anything else but hypocrisy. But I think in our culture, we've just begun to call it politics and kind of, you know, kind of shrug and go, well, that's the way that's the way the game is played. But I think for us as Christians, it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. Well, we're all out of time now. So uh, <laughs> coming up next, no, I wonder. I wonder how much you think um, is conscious and what is subconscious. Like, based on what you just said, it is. It sounds like you think it's a hundred percent. Oh, I'm just trying to stop a politician. 
uh, i.e. Bill Clinton that I disagree with. So I hold to a different standard than I do for Trump because Trump uh, stands for policies that I tend to agree with. How, how much of that do you think is honestly just subconscious bias? Probably. Because you're, if you're fully dyed in the wool one party or the other, you, you have a natural inclination uh, for or against. It's kind of the idea of confirmation bias that yeah. comes up a lot on this show. Uh, how do you how do you go after that in any intelligent way? If like oh, is you, I mean these the point differences are pretty significant, and it it is worth noting that but like what you read was specifically about white evangelicals, and a lot of the other categories, a lot of the other demographics didn't weren't shifted nearly as dramatically. Not even close. So we're talking specifically about white evangelicals. Um, yeah. So it's not just people of faith. Um, so there's something to that I think that is as concerning. Like okay, there's we're going after it's very, very specific, specific, right? Yep. But how much of that is just sort of uh, the water they swim in that they're they can't they almost their biases or things they're not even aware of. How, yeah, how do you fair. begin to have a conversation if you're not even aware that you have these these biases that are kind of you know pulling the strings behind yeah. the scenes? And I think that's a really hard question because it, it, for part of the reason this is a difficult conversation for me to have, or even I know how you are, so for you to have is that. Uh, like these things do bother me and they do affect me. So I'm trying to kind of speak for other people here. And, uh, you know, like when those access Hollywood tapes would come on, I'd literally turn the channel. So my kids couldn't hear them. Like Mm. there's nobody out there going, no, those weren't a big deal. Like I'm fine with them. Right. So that's why I think it's kind of a, uh, um, an end justify the means, uh, thing, you know, and not to make it a silly way, but you know, you think about sports, right? Like, uh, when when other teams people cheat, you get really mad. When your guy cheats and you win, you're like, okay, yeah. So he took some steroids, but you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> we do rationalize things that are really dangerous. And I, there's probably a sociologist could probably do a lot better uh, autopsy or examination as to why it's so drastic, simply for white evangelicals. And I think we all have ideas, but I'm not qualified to make those statements. But it is interesting that it is such a specific demographic. Yeah. In this poll, and it's a wide-ranging poll done over many years uh, across administrations, uh, it's very interesting that it's that specific demographic is the only one that had this drastic change. Yeah, And I do think for the church, it causes us to have questions, um, regardless of your politics, about hypocrisy and character and what matters. And uh, and then, you know, eventually you got to sleep at night with who you vote for yeah. <laughs> and who you back. And so I think it raises lots of questions. You have to sleep with them? Is that what you just said? No, no, no. You have to sleep with, uh, you got to be okay. Your conscience has to be clear. I mean, I was with you about morality and integrity. And then at the end of the day, you have to sleep with who you voted for. It's your conscience. So if it keeps you up at night. That's well well said. I, I would honestly, again, not a sociologist and not someone who falls under this. I would love to hear from people. Like you and I are not trying to guilt people. We're literally just trying to raise this going, huh, this really confused us when we read it. And we've got some ideas, but I'd love to hear from people. I would really love some feedback on this. Yeah, I think this is a uh, beginning of a much longer, much larger yeah. discussion that uh, I think we'll probably we'll probably come back to many, many times. Yep. Well, coming up next, Justin Bieber is in the news, and maybe not for reasons that you might think. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. As is always the case when this song is playing, everyone in the studio is dancing, and I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com, and I uh, I teased it up a little bit that Justin Bieber is in the news, and 
I, I kind of had to double take even just with how many <laughs> how many Instagram followers I he has. I just was looking at that. I thought it said 11 million. Oh. It doesn't. It's 111 million fans on Instagram. But the reason that we're talking about it is uh, is actually pretty fascinating. He, he's been talking about his faith for a couple of years now, but it seems like more and more recently he's he's become more explicit about it. And I don't know... I don't know totally where I land on all this, but I feel like in an age of Kanye West holding his own like Christian worship right. gatherings, or so he calls them, where he's selling his two hundred dollars t shirts, <laughs> to have someone like the Beebs with this level of a platform saying things um, like "Jesus has given me freedom," I there's a part of me that stands back and says, "All right." If 111 million people are are hearing that message for the first time or with fresh eyes, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe there's a good – I have a healthy dose of skepticism always when it comes to Bieber as a prophet or Bieber as, you know, an apologist, um, which I don't think he would claim to be either, to be honest. And I know that he's in and out of the news sometimes, and uh, he's recently – I mean, his his, – his family life is all over the place, but I, I read stuff like this and I think, all right, is there something to be learned from this? Is this something that as pastors we celebrate or is it celebrate with an asterisk? Like how do you how do you respond when you read things like this? Yeah, it's uh, I what stood out to me was exactly what you just said, 111 million people. Like that can't even get my mind around that that when you go to your phone or whatever when he goes to his phone to type something, <laughs> right? Like to ha- even have and uh, he's probably so used to it by now. Like it's just kind of been the the bubble that he's always lived in. But like you said, he he went on this whole long rant about mental health and stuff, but he just said, Jesus has given me freedom and you can experience it too. And I want to cheer that on. I like you, I get uncomfortable because he's so vulnerable in his Instagram posts that like, if, if he's going to be the champion, then I'm, I'm worried what's coming next, you know? And, um, but like you said, uh, in an age where so much is driven by, you know, online influencers, if you will. And when you have 111 million people, people following you that you're an influencer of our culture uh, to have Justin Bieber or whoever else it might be um, proclaiming the freedom that he's found in Christ. That can't be anything but a good thing. Now I do, I worry or do I sometimes expect that we'll be having a conversation in a few weeks where he said something else off the rip. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Hopefully I pray that he's got, you know, good people in his life who are not, um, not trying to exploit him, but instead are helping him grow and understand what is this freedom. And, you know, somebody to all the somebody who's constantly online, uh, you know, about their mental health struggles and stuff worries me. You know, sometimes I think there's things better left dealt with in private. But so why, um, why does that why does that worry you? Why does why is his uh, his his public confession of some of those things worrisome? I, yeah. And I don't want to make this sound like you should never publicly confess things like this, I guess. We've all seen so many stories of celebrities, especially with this kind of poll, where everything about their life is in the microscope, and it just seems. I'm 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 making this guess from the outside, yeah. Uh, whether it be you know whoever it is, it, you see this public unraveling. Think about you know ten or fifteen years ago, Britney Spears, and she was going down this road, or whoever else it might be. And so for me, it's more like worry for him, not like oh no, he's going to hurt the message. It's all like. Sometimes when people are this out there, it kind of takes a bad turn. And I just hope that's not the case for him. But to have a guy like this, this influential, you know, kind of, for for lack of a better word, evangelizing to his 111 million people, I think I think it, at the very least it's going to create a conversation for people going, 
oh, what's this Jesus that Justin Bieber is talking about? And and that can only be a good thing. Um, yeah, I, you and I, for some reason, both feel a little trepidation about it. <laughs> I can hear it in our voices, but uh, but I'm thrilled that he's found this freedom in Christ, and I pray that that his knowledge of that and the reality of that continues to grow for him. Yeah, I think uh, specifically as it pertains to what we were talking about last segment, does his public life, in your mind, potentially threaten the integrity of the message? Like if, you know, he's got this Instagram story, and I'm and I'm reading the transcript, and he's saying a lot of good stuff, and he's, he's quoting Matthew uh, 11.28, and he's summarizing John 3.16, and... You know, it, it's it's pretty feel good. Like I'm, it's certainly not a dissertation, but nope. it there's some there's some really good stuff there, and he's and he's encouraging people to not give up. And I, I imagine, um, knowing what I know about the internet and uh, about some of our our natural draw towards superstars, there probably are people that are like, yeah, I, I actually really feel beat up right now. I feel really at my end, and this yeah. this little snippet from Bieber is actually really encouraging. Do you think that? Like if he was in the news, you know, tomorrow for some sort of stupid, you know, misdemeanor or something, would that undermine the message of what he's saying here? Much in the same way, like with our politicians, does their private life, whatever is whatever private life even really is, especially for someone that shares so much, yeah, in your mind, is part of the trepidation that it's a concern that if something, if he if he behaves in such a way that is incongruent with what he's saying here, it feels like it cancels both out, and that's not good yeah i think so I, I think it's not that it makes it untrue but um you know the uh, i in my communications classes i remember at wheaton and calm theory uh it was the, the famous line was uh the medium is the message yeah. <laughs> like you can't really divorce the two from each other and so you know i i hope he doesn't fall off the ledge but he's had some big ups and downs in his life and to be that public face right is you do worry about that a little bit the same way you and I in a much smaller scale feel that pressure as pastors. Like I'm fully aware. Uh, and I guess I feel the pressure that if I completely go off the rails, it's not just going to have an, it's going to have an effect on people's faith. Right. Uh, and whether that's fair or not. And right. so when I read a hundred million, 111 million Instagram followers, it does feel like, Oh gosh, man, I hope, Keep fighting the fight, man. Keep running the race because well, <laughs> like, you're out there. The thing that I actually really do appreciate, I was just talking with somebody about this at our uh, our Monday evening service last night, that it, it can be unsettling at times, but also so refreshing when you realize that the Bible doesn't feel any need to hide the stories yeah. of like grief and doubt. And Jeremiah says stuff like, I wish I'd never been born. Mm -hmm. You know, like if somebody said that in a pulpit today, like everyone would freak out, but the Bible, I mean, King Solomon, yes. Job, I mean, even Paul himself, he's, he seems to be at times while in prison, legitimately wondering, I don't know if I want to live or die right now. Mm -hmm. And to our modern sensibilities, it can feel like, woo, no, that's, you are oversharing pastor. You yes. are supposed to be a leader. And I think obviously within reason, and we've talked about this a couple of different ways and yeah. a couple of different times, but the, I do feel like sometimes the pendulum has swung so far to stoicism for us mm. that for someone with that platform, and that's usually what we go towards, like, oh, I don't, that's pretty risky to be that honest yep. when your audience is that big. We're letting the audience dictate our level of transparency, yep. which is always a slippery slope for me. Like, man, if, if, if the Bible is good news, if the gospel is good news, and if the stories from Genesis Revelation 
include a lot of victory, but also a ton of defeat, a lot of doubt, yep. a lot of anger, a lot of like, not, oh, a case of the blues. Mm-hmm. I believe the the Bible includes stories of like deep, dark sadness and grief, wondering if God is still listening. Yeah. So we're fine with that in our holy writ, but when it comes to like our preachers and our yep. personalities, we're like, whoa, hey, k- Keep that at home. Let's we don't. We, we don't need to be talking about that here. Yeah, and maybe one of the one of the good. I just said how you know in com theory we learned that the medium is the message, and maybe the good one of the good news of the gospel is that uh, the message transcends the medium. Like it's not just about the medium, but that it's amazing that God uses broken people like us yeah. in order to uh, get out this good news. And so maybe I don't need to be worried. Maybe the message is we don't need to be worried that Justin Bieber is going <laughs> to sink the gospel for all these. All these followers, and uh, I think I think it'll handle. I think it'll hold up. Uh, I think it'll hold up. But even more so, we as preachers don't need to. Pastors don't need to feel that pressure of like, if I go down the wrong path, people are going to. It's going to sink people's faith. Maybe the message. Maybe we just need to be reminded that the message uh, is that good news that that the medium uh, is is not the message. That's a good reminder, man. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Greg Harris from Through the Bible and uh, get a little bit of his perspective about what it is that he does and why he's so passionate about elevating the importance of really, really diving into Scripture, verse-by-verse study, and uh, some ways forward for us to engage with that. So that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find out more at 1160hope.com. You can also go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. And we are excited to have on the phone with us right now, Greg Harris. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be with you. I'm just going to read just a quick, like, 12-minute bio of yours, <laughs> if that's okay. Now, let me just tell you all a little bit about Greg. Uh, he's been focused on reaching as many people as possible with the Word of God. He's served in leadership roles with Trans World Radio, Saddleback Church, and for eight years as president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. In 2011, he joined Through the Bible as international director, and in 2015, he became the fourth president of this historic and far-reaching ministry. And I have so many questions, but I'm just curious, what, what is your current role like right now? Like, just talk to us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, well, you know, Through the Bible is is an unusual ministry in many respects. Um, you know, our speaker's been dead for 30 years. Mm. Uh, we have a, a huge ministry. We're on 1,300 stations in North America. We're in 125 languages around the world. Wow. I mean, that's a daily broadcast. Um, and we run the ministry with 12 paid staff. And so um, when you ask what my days are like or what my job is like, I, I wear a lot of hats um, because we, we keep things really lean internally. Hmm. Uh, I, I probably spend about 30, a third of my time on our domestic uh, ministry and uh, running the small operation, but more than half or almost two-thirds of my time is really on the global ministry. It's really where my heart is, and it's really where the heart of Through the Bible is because uh, one of the other unusual things about us is we do no fundraising uh, that anybody would recognize in today's context. And people just send us money because they believe in what we do. Wow. And that means I don't spend any time on that, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, then the other thing is we send over 50 cents of every dollar invested into our global ministry. So, you know, where our treasure is, our heart is, and that's where most of my time is spent. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this, that uh, Dr. McGee, like you said, has been has passed away over 30 years or 30 years. So 
Uh, how do you? Why do you think uh, that he still has a ministry that's effective and that his words uh, still relate this many years later? Well, I think we all we all say we believe that the word of God is timeless, and mm. I think God just uses our kooky little organization to prove that it really is. That if you if you teach uh, the, the the essential things that the Bible says, and you and we teach the entire Bible, that's another thing that's unusual. You're not going to find many radio programs covering of First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, which mm. you're both pastors. You know that's the longest <laughs> genealogy in the Bible. <laughs> When's the last time right. you heard a sermon on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think really we are kind of just a, a, a small little group of people uh, trying to say, you know, God honors his word, uh, and it, it's as relevant uh, today as it was uh, 40, it was actually 40 years ago when the material was recorded. And then, of course, he passed uh, some years after he last recorded. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So can you, can you explain this Bible bus concept then? Because, and I don't, I don't know if I'm just ignorant or not, but I, I'm so intrigued by this idea. Could you unpack a little bit about what it actually means? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because it's kind of corny, but Dr. McGee coined the phrase. And what he really was talking about is that people who listen to Through the Bible are on a journey. It, it's mm. an exciting journey from Genesis to Revelation. He generally goes uh, from Old Testament to New Testament, back to Old Testament. So you're you're weaving back and forth uh, between the, all the books of Scripture, all 66 books. Mm. And he coined this phrase as if, hey, it's a journey. And, you know, people love this metaphor. People will send us money and say, like one guy recently sent a check and said, uh, you know, I think my seat on the Bible bus is getting worn out. This is to reupholster it. <laughs> uh, you know, people will say, here's the money for tires or for gas. So it's really to communicate that all of the, the listening family through the Bible is on a journey together through this exciting uh, book called the Bible. That's yeah. great. And now I know in May it's a special month for you guys, uh, and we're glad uh, Through the Bible is on AM 1160 here every morning at 530. Uh, and at, at 5.30 in the morning and at 10 p.m. on the station. Uh, so uh, talk to us a little bit about Letter Month and that the month of May is a special month for you guys. Yeah, well, again, this goes back to the days when Dr. McGee was with us, and he, even though we love getting letters, and we get literally thousands, tens of thousands of letters, not only from this country, but all over the world. And so every day on the program, almost, our host, Steve Schwetz, will read uh, letters of people whose lives have been changed as they study the word with us. Mm. Um, but Dr. McGee put a special emphasis on the months of May and December. Uh, I, you know, even though I said we don't do fundraising, I think Dr. McGee knew that people were about to go away for the summer and he liked the idea of encouraging them to write a letter and maybe they'd want to leave a gift at, at that time. Mm-hmm. And then of course, in December, everybody's thinking about giving. We We say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but but Dr. McGee just really wanted to encourage people. We, we really want to hear from you. What's God doing in your life as you study the Word of God? And it's, it's less about our ministry than it is, let's all testify to what happens when, when you get serious about studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Okay, so before I forget, what, what are the different ways that people can find you or get involved or ask questions? Can you just give us all of that information so that it's really clear anyone that's intrigued even maybe hearing about this for the first time? Sure. Uh, our website is TTB. That's through the Bible, ttb.org. Uh, it's real simple. Um, you can 
get all kinds of information. You can write to us. You can contact us. If you want to send an email, it's biblebus at ttb.org. So that's nice and simple for people. Or you can call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Mm. So those are the, the simple and easy ways to get a hold of us. Of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter, and people can just find us. The, the main thing is we spell through phonetically, T-R-H-U. Mm. So, could I spell that correctly? I don't think so, but oh, yeah, T-H-R-U, yeah, yeah. <laughs> T-H-R-U is Bible. We've all yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah. I'm just seeing if you're listening. We are. We got you. <laughs> I think you were more testing if we can spell, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're both pastors. You can spell. Right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, so with, like, the last minute or two that we have, I'm curious yeah. what you got, what's the future look like for your organization? Again, like you said, it's been 30 years since... Dr. McGee passed away and his words are timeless, but what's that look like as you see the changing landscape going forward? You know, I'll tell you guys, the future is just stunningly exciting. Uh, an old, we, we, often people think we're an old fashioned ministry, but we are getting heavily into digital initiatives. Mm. We are involved working with TWR to, uh, in what we call uh, radio home groups. We have 8,000 home groups that meet in South Asia right now. And wow. many of them turn into churches because there is no church in their area. They listen to Through the Bible once a week together. They pray. They worship. Often that turns into a church. Um, we're, we're expanding very significantly in areas like satellite television. This is in foreign languages, of course. And uh, in the digital realm, we've got some pretty big plans. That's awesome. Man, Greg Harris, we are so grateful that you have joined us together on The Common Good. To learn more, go to ttb.org. That's for uh, throughthebible.org. You can also go to Twitter, and uh, their handle is throughthebiblenet. You can also visit 1160hope.com slash letter to let Through the Bible know how much you've been blessed by hearing Dr. McGee on AM 1160 in Chicago. As a reminder, Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee can be heard every weekday. Uh, from 5 a.m. to 5.30 a.m., and from 10.30 p.m. to 11 p.m., right here on AM 1160. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, guys. It was a real joy. Really appreciate your work. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. And uh, before we jump into this next topic, we were just talking with Greg Harris. And if you've been blessed by Through the Bible's five-year verse-by-verse study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, uh, then I want to encourage you to let them know that their ministry has impacted your life. You can visit 1160hope.com slash letter and let them know how they've uh, encouraged you. Through the Bible airs weekday mornings at 5 and weekday evenings at 10.30 right here on AM 1160. And um, being a, a new dad, still mm-hmm. relatively new dad, one of the things that I'm still thinking through a lot are the things that I'm really bad at or the things that I learned later in life that I want, I want to help give my kid uh, my kids a leg up on right. in terms of like not just how the world works, but also like, like one of the things that I'm really not great at is Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm passionate about. And when it comes to execution, I just seem to struggle. Yeah. And it's, we can pontificate in a radio booth all we want. Like, Oh, it's important. And here's what that's what the Bible says. And, and then I can go out the door and still burn the candle at both ends. It's like, yeah, I get the information. Yeah. My praxis is off. And so thinking through things like Sabbath rest, 
I'm I'm curious, is this a conversation that you have with your family? Like, do you walk through practices like this with your kids? If so, how? If not, why not? Like, what does that conversation look like in the in the Fromm household? Yeah, it doesn't look like anything. I don't really No, not at all. And so, um, you know, I, I the next time I talk to my kids about Sabbath rest will be the first time. And that's, mm. you know, I tr- we try to talk to them about like why we make certain choices as to why we're going to do this and not do this. But I've told you, I feel like right now we're in a really crazy, busy season uh, to the point that I've started to wonder, is it too busy? Mm. Like, Is it just are we burning too, too hot right now? Uh, and for that reason, like, you know, when your kids are just like, oh, we got to go there. Oh, we got to do this again. And uh it does. It's hard. Like sometimes Sabbath, I think, is something that we all believe in and very few of us practice. Yeah, I think. You're totally and right. so we have to ask our question, the self, why is that? And it's because as adults and we've pa- we pass it on to our children uh, that we uh, just this model of you work, you're rewarded for that work. And then you repeat that. Right. Work, reward, repeat. And um, and we just keep going. And, and we we know that on the seventh day, God rested and that Jesus talks about rest and that. Sabbath is a gift, um, but but we don't really believe it. The same way with generosity, right? Like it's it's hard to finally put your money. Like it's one thing to say that we're we're blessed when we're generous. It's another thing to be generous. And so uh, I think rest is the same way. And so the uh, the scary thing that you bring up is uh, this is one of the many ways that we create our children in our own image. Hmm. Uh, if we're running fast and hard all the time and push, 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 then that's the kids we're going to have. They're going to do that. Uh, and Christian Day wrote a great article about this just recently. Um, yeah, it was in their May edition on online. It's called Sabbath Rest, Not Just for Grownups. And he says this, the author says, our refusal to rest is killing us. It's killing our young. It's leading to breakdowns in mental health, obesity, depression, broken relationships, broken families, and substance abuse. All of this is bad enough, yet the fullness of the misinformation comes to light when we realize that those in ministry, those called to teach, train, pastor, and shepherd young people, engage equally in the endless work and then point to God and say, I'm doing this for God. And the point of this whole article is that we are passing on this kind of work, uh, not even work ethic, but lifestyle to our children uh, that's going to be really problematic. And so, you know, it is done with a little bit of guilt when you ask me, like, how do we talk about rest with our family and just don't? And uh, the same way that I probably ignore the topic in my own life, hmm. preach on it, but don't live it. And uh, because it, this is one of those rubber meet the road, rubber meets the road ones. It's just really, really difficult to live out. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it's too not just I mean, even if we let's say you were talking about it with your kids, the, the, the truth still stands like, yeah, we have conversations about it. But my kids have eyes like they see yes. the way that I'm actually living. And I think. You know, we probably all have heard an adult at some point in our life say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yes. And my oldest is a, a year and a half, and I already feel that temptation creeping totally. in. Like, don't, no, 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 no. We don't do that. And he can't he can't talk back yet. But I can imagine the day will come soon when he's like, wait a minute, but you do that. So yeah. even if, like, let's say, yeah, this at the Simpkins household, every Tuesday we sit down and we talk about the importance of Sabbath rest. <laughs> but then my kids watch my life, yeah. and they're like, yeah, but Dad— Either is a hypocrite or a liar or yep. or whatever it is. Like I, that, I'm, I'm already feeling convicted by some of those things. That even if we had a good on paper rhythm of what we do and don't talk about or how we talk about it, I, I am challenged that my life does send a message about what I actually value. Like it sends a message to our, like you were just saying, we can preach a sermon about it and then yeah. do nothing with it. 
And that may shock some people to hear that sometimes pastors <laughs> struggle yep. to actually live the thing they're preaching. Yep. And I've tried to get more and more honest the older that I get, even in the in the moment of the sermon, to say, totally. hey, real quickly, before we go on, like we were just talking last weekend, you know, about conflict. There was a couple of moments in that message where I was like, hey, just before I go on, I'm terrible at this. Just, mm-hmm. just, just so everyone's aware, I'm not speaking as someone who's arrived, which I think is a really beautiful opportunity Absolutely. to be honest with our kids. Like, hey— Dad actually struggles in this area, and here's why I think that is. I think sometimes he finds his worth in what he can accomplish, yeah. or he elevates uh, work ethic ab- above resting in our identity. And, you know, like those things are, and maybe that feels vulnerable, um, because it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's it's important for Sabbath. I mean, we see this even with Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees who were so diligent about following Sabbath that he said, you're following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Their problem wasn't diligence. They not only preached on it, so to speak, they, they abided by it. And Jesus said, you still kind of missed the point. And the invitation with our kids or what just young people in general, whether or not you have kids to be honest about, yeah, the, the struggle is real when it comes to Sabbath rest, not just because of my own personal stuff, but because of the waters we swim in and culture as a whole, you look like a crazy person yep. if you have holes and gaps in your calendar. Mm-hmm. You're like, what do you do on Saturday? You're like, oh, we're not doing anything. Well, is everybody okay? Yeah. Like that's we yeah. have this natural impulse to be worried. And I think those are really cool, I think, opportunities to dive into the complexity with our kids rather than like, hey, we do Sabbath in this household. <laughs> no questions. Go to your room and Sabbath. Right? You know I mean, it's not right. It's not just a mandate. It's yep. hey, here's why we do it, and here's why it's sometimes really difficult to do. Yeah, and I just think we need to realize the effects that our run, run, run lifestyles are having upon our kids. And you can run, run, run till the daddy takes the T bird away. <laughs> good, good one. Uh, they are. It's having a uh, effects across the board. Uh, I would say one thing, and I think. It's so fun. One of the fun things about the show is that I'm a little further down the parenting line than you. And so, you know, you are just like, you are right there at the start. And I would say, uh, you'll be good at this, but I would say one of the most powerful things, some of the most powerful moments as a dad, and that I think have been most impactful for my children, is when I walk into their room and apologize to them. And just own it. And just say, hey, you know what? That was unfair the way I yelled at you. I was wrong. Or that was unfair that I did this. And your kids, uh, A, it's amazing. Like kind of the, uh, even at a young age, the respect that they have for you Mm. and the love and the forgiveness. And you just kind of can talk to them at that point about forgiveness. Like sometimes dad, you know, messes up and, and needs to say, I'm sorry. And then next time, hopefully they're more likely to say they're sorry. I think modeling is really important. And that gets back to Sabbath. I think the reason our kids are running hard is because we don't model it well. And and that is something that we should all be convicted by. I guess if you're out there, ask yourself simply, what does your current schedule teach your children? Yeah. That what you've made their schedule, but also your own schedule. What does it teach your children? And uh, is what you're teaching them healthy? And maybe a second question is, what does your current schedule say about what you truly believe to be true about God? Yep. Right. When you look at your calendar, when you say with your mouth, that God sees us and loves us fully and completely, um, but we burn the candle at both ends, there, that is also communicating something, yep. whether we're aware of it or not. And I think uh, for this topic in particular, that's really <laughs> challenging and convicting, but also inspiring. Like I'm yeah. thinking about new ways, looking ahead, that I actually want to engage in this conversation with my kids. This is a good conversation, man. This is one that always seems to bubble to the top for us, yeah, and uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time that we talk about because this. Because we both have two jobs. That's <laughs> right. That's right. No kidding. <laughs> 
Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're alive. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian from Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, website, 1160hope.com, podcast, they're theirs. <laughs> they exist. Podcast <laughs> world. Get, get them. <laughs> like, review, subscribe, that actually helps us out a lot. And uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know sometimes... You forgot sometimes, the text line. Oh, gosh. You forgot that you did them you all. You do this you every time. Down. I'll be two sentences I'm all out excited. of it. And you're you're like, going down the list. Line. You're going. We need to talk about radio etiquette with you one of these days. I don't have you were, You're about 30 seconds late <laughs> to try and sh- I'll get well, excited well, for let it. Let us know about the text line, Brian Fromm. 68683 CG and anything you would like to say. You can even comment on my uh, lack of radio etiquette. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That lacked the energy that I was anticipating. <laughs> you were all you're jumping the out of your seat. Way, the same way earlier in the show, I said sometimes the the most important thing I can do is go apologize to my kids. Probably the most important thing I can do in our radio relationship is to apologize to you. So this might be the first. Yeah. This is the first time so ever. I'm saying I'm sorry. <laughs> I accept Brian from we can, we can still be friends. Uh, so if you've been with us for any length of time, you've probably noticed that sometimes we're reading an article, sometimes we're talking to an author, sometimes. We're taking a really deep dive into a very, very specific topic. Sometimes we're just kind of sharing stuff that we're working through. And uh, I hope that you know that a lot of times we we don't actually know where this conversation is going to go. Like we'll intentionally not talk about it ahead of time so that on the show we can just sort of lob these questions out and sort of respond in real time because that, I mean, that's how most of us live our lives. And I came across this post yesterday by uh, Dan White Jr. He is the uh, the author of Love Over Fear, and he it just sort of caught my attention. And um, you know how Facebook works. Sometimes you don't see stuff until somebody else in your algorithm comments. And so yep. I started reading what other people were commenting, and it I just think it's really fascinating. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you, particularly as a church planter, yep. uh, your response and knee-jerk reaction uh, to it. So he writes, uh, American Christianity is caught up in the idolatry of impact. He mm. says, if it works, let's go with it. If it's big, it's good. If it's dynamic, it's God. Jesus faced three temptations to make an impact and instead chose the rooted route. Mm. How does how does that strike you? What what Are you offended or do you agree? Do you want to push back? Do you want to get him in studio? I would love to get him in studio. <laughs> I would love to get him in studio because I agree. Uh, and you do, I do. There is, and I guess I would want him to define impact because we always are told like, I've said it from the pulpit many times now, go change the world. (laughs) Totally. And none of this means we don't believe this stuff, but it's like this, um, like that, that's the point, right? Like you go change world. when you start a church, you're going to change a community when you, uh, when you, and it is kind of the idolatry also of what 
what is what does impact look like? And for he makes the good point in our American Christianity, in the church world specifically, impact manifests itself in a in a big congregation mm. or uh, you know successful books or whatever else it might be. And if if it's like dynamic, like he said, if if it's like making this kind of outward impact, then God must be involved. And I yeah. think you and I have both talked about that. The longer we're pastors. Like the more we almost, I shouldn't speak for you, the more I almost crave to have the impact of like the pastor who's just diligently been at a church and is like making impacts in the tens rather than the thousands. Mm. Like, of course, we all, we all have ego. We would all love to make impacts in the thousands, but we all know those pastors who have just diligently made an impact uh, with their, and shepherded their people well. And like, yeah. I don't think we celebrate that well. And, and instead we we celebrate the big and the dynamic and the flashy all the time mm. and say, well, that's where God's most at work. Which we would never say, but we do sort of imply yeah. by the messaging, right? Not just the messaging, right? Who gets up in conferences? Who the super successful? Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. And so, and he also, I love that line where he says, if it works, let's go with it. You said something last week and you're going to need to help me exactly the wording, <laughs> but it's like, it, it used to be about, is it true? And now it's about, is it, does it work? Does it work? Yes. Right. And you get that. Like how many, hmm. you know, especially when you start a church, you're constantly reading everything. Like, yeah. Yes. Well, we'll try this that model because it's going to make an impact i'm using air quotes which don't work well on the radio but <laughs> it's going to have this impact and yeah. what do we mean by that it's going to grow my church and it's going to do this or which, that what do we even mean by grow exactly. right we're almost always exactly. talking numerically and the beauty of facebook is like a guy like this can put stuff out there and get you thinking because i do again you need to define idolatry you need to define impact you need to there's a lot that i would love to have him on the phone or in in studio to talk about this because um, because we also don't want to say, hey, your life is not supposed to impact anybody. Yeah, right. That's not the point Don't worry either. about impact. Follow Jesus. The question is, right. what does impact look like, and how is it done? Like, how? what is it that makes the most – what's the impact that we're talking about right. versus what do we often celebrate? So what do you think he meant by um, Jesus? I get that he had three temptations to, quote, make an impact, and instead he chose the rooted route. What do you think he meant by rooted, or yeah, are you confused, too, that's, by that? That's the big question mark for me yeah. in that whole post, okay. which, again, just to specify, it is a post. It's not yeah, a dissertation. Yeah. There's all sorts of subtext, I'm sure. I That, I think, is the big question mark. And maybe that was to, to intentionally lead to dialogue. Like, oh, what is the rooted route? Like, how, yeah. does, how does Jesus actually uh, live that out in the Gospels, in our lives today? I think... I think what you're saying about, you know, so often our context doesn't match the message. The amount mm -hmm. of times I've heard some mega super successful pastor leader in an arena of 80,000 people say something like, pay attention to the little things. I'm like, it's <laughs> yeah. easy for you to say, you're the center of a, like a superdome. Like yeah. that is, it, you know, it sometimes feels ironic. And I actually just started watching a, a, a documentary series on Netflix um, about losers, about the losing team, the losing oh, uh, boxer in a fight, the loser in a, and and some of them have like great redemption stories. But um, I was listening to a podcast. Man, they see, maybe this is a theme in my brain right now. I was listening yeah. to a podcast two days ago about failure mm. and how we don't respond well to it, even as a culture, unless there's like a big redemption story at the end. What about just straight up failure? Yeah, they they swung for the fence. And they didn't make it, and the company tanked, and the idea didn't fly. Whatever it is, like we, this idea of impact, you're spot on. I think requires for us to really ask important questions about what that looks like. But I think 
it also requires a conversation about our assumption that God's brain, mm. his economy, is what looks like what we value, yeah. right? Obviously, obviously, bigger is better in God's kingdom. Obviously, you know, more more streams, more clicks, more... It, God's, God wants all of that just the way that I do. And mm. I think even that assumption that, like, God functions in the same way. I mean, you've, you've said this before too. Sometimes that's, that's when we make God in our own image. Like, yeah. Oh, you got, yeah, God always cares about the same stuff I do and, uh, uses the same metrics that I do. Yeah. And I, I do sometimes get a little, a little leery when, when I don't, when there's not enough of a, uh, a, a conflict for me, like, Oh wow, yeah. this, this God is starting to sound a lot like what Ian Simpkins values. <laughs> a lot like me. That's, that should be concerning. <laughs> and again, we're not saying, of course, impact of course we want to reach more people but even how we talk about reach and you use the word growth and i think of the people who have faithfully walked with their church for 40 years who in some of these contexts feel like failures because they never quote broke the 150 barrier and i think i mean something just showed up in my feed just now and the ad was copy and paste these church growth strategies i was like i don't think that's the goal for us to be copying and pasting strategies no matter how insightful they may be. Yeah. And like, it's that sentiment that I think sometimes can lead us down a, uh, a troubling path. Yeah. And it, it's, it is hard because we want to make an impact. We want to see lives change. We want to see people come to faith. And so it's all about how do you measure impact in my own personal life, in the church. Um, and it'd be a really interesting conversation for another day. You know, you and I are in very different types of churches. Yeah. And so my church, you know, it's probably considered medium size, small, whatever. You're one of the biggest churches in the area. Like, there's probably a conversation we had, like, what impact is my church having and what am I striving for? Mm. And what, how do you guys measure the impact you're having? Yep. It's, I think there's, there's, it gets really gray for churches. It gets really muddy. But I think for individuals, like, what's going to cause you at the end of your life to get to, you know, not to be melodramatic, be laying on your deathbed and be like, all right, I, I lived for what was right. I made right. an impact. I feel good about how I spent these years. What's the metrics that's going to make that decision? I think, and then work backwards, right? Then work backwards. Am I living that way now? I think all of us need to ask that, not just as churches and pastors, but just as individual Christ followers. Yeah, the challenge that I heard in one of these podcasts was to stop living for resume words and live for eulogy words. Mm. Like to just not simply think through like, oh, this would be a good resume builder. But like what at the end of my life? Do I want to be about? Do I want to be known for? Mm. And like you said, and work backwards. Yep. I think that's a really, really good call, man. Well, coming up next, we're going to have an interview with Karen Eamon. She wrote uh, the book, Keep Showing Up, How to Stay Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy, which I'm sure won't apply to anybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not around here. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's going to be a fantastic interview coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can learn more at the Facebook. The Facebook? What's happening to me? (laughs) On Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But we are thrilled to have on the phone with us right now Karen Eamon. Karen, welcome to the show. 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. It's our pleasure. Just a little bit about Karen. She's the author of 14 books. I don't know that I've read 14 <laughs> books. That's incredible. <laughs> Including the New York Times bestseller, Keep It Shut, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Say Nothing at All. She's also a speaker for Proverbs 31 Ministries and a writer for Encouragement for Today, online devotions that reach more than 4 million women daily. You can learn more at Karen Eman. That's E-H-M-A-N.com. Highly encourage you to do. But we're talking about your newest book. It's called Keep Showing Up, How to Stay Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. Mm. I think that is such a brilliant subtitle. Would you talk to us just a little bit about the book and and what it's about and why you wrote it? Sure. You know, I think that when we think of the things that drive us crazy about our spouses, often they started out as good things, like things Mm. that we loved about them and that attracted us to them. For example, my husband loved that I could talk, and he's kind of shy, more reserved, little more laid back. And he loved how when we met in college, I could work a room and make the shy ones feel included and mm. talk to everybody from the college president down to the guy bagging my groceries at the store. And he, he loved that about me. But then about three days into our honeymoon, he said he had this thought, like, when's she ever going to stop talking? In <laughs> <laughs> fact, he often jokes that should I pass away before he does, he's already decided what he's going to put on my tombstone. Oh, wow. Are you ready? For, are you ready We're for ready. I'm, I'm ready. A period. <laughs> done talking. Oh, my word. So, so that thing that first attracted him to me, you know, when these strengths that we have don't have boundaries on them, they kind of morph into a weakness because they're left unchecked. And like, for example, with him, he was very laid back and he's going, and I loved how he just was a go with the flow guy. He didn't care. He didn't have an opinion about where we would eat or where we would, what movie we would go to. And I thought, I love this setup. But you know, a couple months into our marriage, it started to come across as him being passive. I'm like, would you just make a decision? Mm. You know? And I wrongly <laughs> interpreted it, his laid backness as passivity. And so I would say he was passive and it made me get aggressive. So we have a passive aggressive marriage. But mm. I think, you know, I've seen this a lot in marriages that those things that first were those opposites attract things later our opposites attack because when we don't keep our strengths in check, they can kind of morph into, well, we don't say weaknesses in our, our house. We say a non-strength. But mm. so I saw that in my own marriage. I saw it in a lot of other marriages. And I saw some of these things just become the reasons after a while that marriages broke up, not, not for very serious, you know, biblical grounds, hard cases of, of divorce. I'm not saying that at all, but we just saw a lot of, People just kind of throw in the towel because they're like, oh, he drives me nuts, or he doesn't make me happy, or she's not what I thought she was. Mm. You know, just these normal bumps in the road. People just kind of quit showing up. And so we had people in our life, my husband and I, that would encourage us through those normal times to, to keep doing the hard work of marriage. And I wanted to be that friend on the page of a book that said, hey, yeah, they might be driving you crazy, but it's okay. Keep showing up and keep showing Christ. Yeah. And you often you also write about how spouses often have the wrong view of even the purpose of marriage. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Like, what's the wrong view, and then what do you feel is the, is actually the right view, the true purpose of marriage? We have been sold uh, a very long bill of goods in our culture that marriage is these two half people who are out there floating around in the world. They're single and they're half, and when they finally find that other perfect fit for them and where they're just going to fit like two puzzle pieces. Now they're suddenly whole and marriage is going to be all about them and it's going to make them happy. Well, first of all, 
a single person is not a half person. That's right. wrong. Mm, that's right. And and marriage isn't designed to meet all your needs and be all about you and make you just ride off into the sunset and be happy the rest of your life because this person's going to complete you, you know? That's not right. Right. And when we get that in our heads, then when that other person doesn't live up to that expectation that we have, we think we've made a mistake or we think they're wrong and we're right. Instead of learning to look at marriage not to make you happy and fulfill all your needs and all of that, you know, we, we go to our spouse for only things that really God can give us. Instead, marriage is about God and his relationship with us and giving those watching our husband-wife relationship a little glimpse of the picture of God in us. You know, mm. God keeps showing up and he keeps forgiving and he keeps granting grace and he treats us with kindness even when we don't deserve it. And when we can learn that marriage is about reflecting the gospel to the watching world and not about making us happy, it can really help to change our perspective. Because, you know, it's not just pastors who deliver a sermon. Your marriage is a message and people are watching you preach. That's right. That's really well said. Mm-hmm. So so yesterday I was talking about, uh, on Sunday, I gave a sermon about conflict. And uh, you, you talk a good deal in this book about conflict. And I imagine listeners who are maybe joining us now are realizing, like, yeah, that describes my marriage um, two two questions, really. One, what do you think is maybe kind of the, the major source of conflict in most marriages? And could you just give some practical insight or wisdom in, into how to navigate those conflicts? You know, if you ask someone what they believe is the greatest, con- you know, source of conflict in marriage, a lot of times you'll get answers like finances or communication or parenting, if there's kids in the picture or sex or whatever, you know. But I really feel like, in my marriage for the last 30 years and in a lot of marriages that I have had an up-close front-row view of, that there are three things that often play into our conflict that really are not all at all about pinpointed things like finances. And those three things I talk about in the book are emotional baggage, mm. unmet expectations, and untrue perceptions. And let me just give you a real quick example yeah, of each. Yeah. So emotional baggage, emotional baggage is those things we have dragged into the present from our past that were things that were either said to us or about us or situations that we had to navigate that left a bad impression on us. And so we have all this baggage, these things that we believe about ourselves, and it's like we're standing across from our spouse and they've got a suitcase full of baggage and we've got a suitcase full of baggage, but nobody knows what, you know, neither of us know what's in the other person's baggage until some conflict starts to happen, some little thing where our baggage comes filling out, for example, and my husband never cares that I tell this example, my mm-hmm. husband is severely dyslexic, and he remembers being at fifth grade parent-teacher conferences, don't know why he was there with his parents and the teacher, but he was, mm-hmm. and the teacher said in front of him to his parents, you know, I think he has this new thing out there called dyslexia, and so he'll probably, uh, he'll probably never amount to more than a gas station attendant. Oh, wow. And he, yeah, and he remembers hearing that. He remembers walking down to third grade wow. when he was in fifth grade for reading. He remembers, you know, feeling like he was dumb, mm. like he was stupid, you know, yeah. like he was less than. And so one time in our marriage early on, I can't remember what was happening. I feel like it was like who ate the last of the brownies in the pan. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I was accusing him of I was accusing him of something, and he was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, you know, totally bluffing. He, I, I really feel like. 
they knew exactly what I was talking about. He was the one that ate the last brownie or whatever. It was. <laughs> and I remember just I remember just saying the phrase to him that I grew up saying all the time in my family. I said, "Oh come on, stop playing dumb with me," and that meant you know quit goof, you know goofing around and acting like you don't know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, later on in the day, I could tell like something was wrong. He was upset at me, and I said, "Hey, you've been acting funny all afternoon. What's wrong? Did I, did I do something?" And he said, "Well, I just really don't appreciate you calling me stupid." I said, when did I ever call you stupid? You know, but just using that phrase, stop playing mm. dumb with me, he heard it as, you know, she thinks I'm, I'm stupid. So that's right. emotional baggage. And then the second thing is unmet expectations. That's just, you know, very simple. You, you grew up in a home where, let's say, the dad could fix anything and the wife thinks that her new husband's going to be able to fix everything right. and he doesn't even know how to how to use a screwdriver, right? So we have these expectations. You may have just and described in my marriage. You may have just described in my marriage right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh. And then the, the third one after emotional baggage and unmet expectations is untrue perceptions where we assign a motive to our spouse that was never there. But to us, that perception is reality. And, and we think one thing's going down when really something else is going down. For example... My husband and I, one time, were in the supermarket, and he ran into some guy he worked with. He'd worked with him for, like, seven years at a factory. Mm. And I'm standing there in my sweatpants and my hair in a ponytail, no makeup on, and we talked to this guy for, like, 10 minutes. And my husband never introduced himself. Never introduced mm. himself. And I'm, wow. we walk away, and I'm like, he's embarrassed. He doesn't like what I look like. He thinks I'm not pretty. He wishes he'd married someone else who was prettier, and I can think of who that would have been. And, like, my brain just went all of these places. And he said, Karen, I couldn't remember the guy's first name. I was embarrassed. You know, so I assigned a motive. I assigned a motive to him that wasn't there. Or the time I asked him when he so sweetly texted me and said, can I pick up anything at the grocery store on the way home from work? And I said, yes, I'm out of half and half. Could you pick some up for my coffee? And he said, sure. And I walk out into the kitchen after my husband gets home from work, and I see the half and half sitting on the counter. But above the words half and half are these two big words, fat-free. And so I'm thinking, oh, perhaps he wishes I were a little more fat. (laughs) So I have this untrue perception, and we do this all the time. Rather than giving the benefit of the doubt, rather than believing the best and not assuming the worst, we jump to a conclusion, we assign a motive. Now we have conflict. And the most practical way to deal with any of these three things is to just stop and address it and stop and say, hey, when you didn't introduce me to your coworker, I kind of felt like you were embarrassed by me. Is that right. what was going down? You know, instead of just like I did that day, just going, I can't believe you. Right. You're embarrassed. You don't think, you know, and just say, hey, when you did this, this is what I heard or this is what I felt. Is that true? It can often just stop the conflict yeah. before it really breaks out. Oh, my goodness. That's that's so good. You've been listening to Karen Eamon, author of Keep Showing Up, How to Stay Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. You can learn more at KarenEamon.com. Karen, thank you so much thank for you. taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. You my too. Pleasure. You too. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. I always feel like this music is so much more dramatic than we are. Like I, never, I always feel like we need to meet the emotionality the song produces. And, and we, sometimes the music comes on, it's crazy. It's like, oh, now I have to be funny with this one. It's like, <laughs> oh, I got to say something. Uh, it's time. I got to say something profound. Yeah. Say I live up to the music. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real thing, though. I wonder if we go back and listen 
if like our our tone changes based on the lead-in music. Probably. We should start getting just some crazy music. And just, <laughs> just like, like a death metal segment. Yeah, or a, Followed by like Beethoven symphony. <laughs> like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> like for anyone to like drop in and out in the middle of a segment, like, wow, these guys sound, are they talking in a British accent? What are they, what are they doing? That'd be really interesting. And then we could ask people, uh, uh, around which type of music do we do our best segments? You know, oh, so we would know. interesting. Do you, uh, do you create playlists like when you work out? Do you have like a specific? When I, when I work out? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to that part of the question. I wish everyone there. could have seen your face when I asked that question. The answer, <laughs> the answer to that question was right there. Uh, uh, no, not really. I've got like iTunes play. Like I have like one long playlist that I really? just play, and I'm like, why do I listen to all the same songs now? But see, what I used to do, and I don't do this anymore. I actually used to like curate playlists uh, that I would adjust the BPM based on where in the run I am. So I'd literally like pick the rhythm. Uh, really? Based on where in the run, I think my pace might be. Did I just is, figure out BPM is beats per minute? Beats per minute. That's right. That's pretty cool. It's, no, I've never done that. It's a little neurotic. It's a little much. It is. And again, maybe I'll do that when I start working out again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can talk about that another time. I uh, so every once in a while I'll read something and I realize this is. All my confirmation bias at play here. Like you read something that affirms something that you already felt, and I just jump all over. Like, oh, see, I already felt that way, and I now want to share it. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the article is talking about traveling, and in fact, the travel makes us far happier than any material wealth ever does. Which again, I'm already predisposed. I love traveling. Yep. My wife loves traveling. It's something that we both really share. Uh, it says, it turns out that the main impediment to happiness is adaptation. As soon as something we've bought becomes ordinary and unexciting, the level of life satisfaction we feel falls, and we're forced to search around for that next purchase. I think we've all felt that way, right? Like, this thing mm -hmm. will bring me real happiness, real joy. It does for about 12 seconds, and then you're like, oh, this house, this car, whatever. And it's, I think it's even accomplishments, right? Like, yep. we think it'll achieve something that it just can't. Um, it goes on, though. It says, however, research carried out at Cornell University has found a way to break this damaging cycle. Uh, psychology professor Thomas Gilovich has shown that we experience the same increase in happiness when we buy something that we want when we go traveling. But, and here's the most important part, the amount of happiness we derive from our purchase falls over time, whereas the mm. uh, memories of our traveling experience continue to supply us with happiness hormones for much longer. So, like, the initial joy is similar in both, but the stay power, and this totally makes sense because with travel, you have photos, you have stories, you revisit those stories, you make a coffee book table, they show up on Facebook. There's this like prolonged sense of, oh, we had, we shared that experience together. We saw this mountain or this monument or yep. whatever. And yep. I don't know if you're a, you're a little bit of a travel buff, right? I'm you guys, a complete experienced travel guy, especially with my kids. Like, uh, and part of it is not a lot of expendable income to spend on material wealth, right? But even beyond <laughs> right. that is uh, everything, my best memories as a family, uh, and I know some of it, uh, we've been able to do some things that other people can't, but like this past summer when I was on sabbatical, we took a three-week driving trip out east. So jealous. It is the greatest three weeks I think we've ever spent together as a family, not because of no what kidding. we saw or did, but because it was just about our family. We were seeing new things. We were laughing together. We were in a car. It was just all together. My kids get along better when they're traveling. They do? Totally. Even if they're like jammed in a car together totally. for a long They like, like car trips. They really oh, do. Man, you lucked out, man. That's they amazing. They really do. And so, um, you know, 
they still we still talk about this trip and you know the various places we went and sometimes we were with people sometimes we were by ourselves I am a big believer in this but it's not just these long travel trips because you might be out there being like well I could never take a three week trip but like sometimes it's just the day trip like yeah. you know what we're gonna instead of saving money to buy X we are gonna spend you know we're gonna go to Great America right. or we're gonna go to the dunes for the my one day off or we're gonna do whatever <laughs> and uh no, I think this is a hundred percent true. And if I could give any words of wisdom to especially uh, parents out there with kids that are getting older, like build the experiences now. Yeah. Sometimes they're local experiences, right? But also try to find the time in your schedule, summertime, whatever else, where you could go away and do something as a family. Those will be the times that 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 go away. Like this article says, this will be the things your kids look back on. Uh, and these will be the memories that they have. And it will do something to your family differently than just being at home for another day and doing another thing. And sometimes we think if I buy my kid the new phone, if I buy this, and of course they're appreciative and sure. whatever. Maybe. Ma- yeah, yeah. But I do think, I think this article is 100% true. It just wears off. And uh, no, I am I am a thousand percent believer in the value of experience and the joy that brings for families. Yeah, sometimes I think... Uh, I can overdo it. Like, for example, uh, my wife and I, our honeymoon was a road trip. So we were in a different city every night. Like, rented a car and we traveled the whole the whole honeymoon because, you know, we wanted to have this adventure. And looking back, we've certainly, man, it was such a fun trip. Like, we had such a good time. Um, but she has said, like, hey, next trip that we do, can we just do the, like, lay by the beach thing? Like, mm. not rent a car and yeah, have to be yeah. going somewhere new every day. Like, as much fun as that was and maybe some of that's just the exhaustion of parenting now yep. you're like okay i totally get the appeal of just the all-inclusive just lie by the beach uh all day every day and don't do anything but i yep. also know like i think i've mentioned this before before my brother was married in 2010 uh some of the brothers we've been talking about this trip for a long time we did uh six countries in 16 days and, and the uh, parameters that we'd always talked about doing we finally did was the only thing that you're allowed to bring is one three-piece suit that's it. <laughs> so we did 16 days and we all had one suit. And um, I mean, those suits were not in good shape by the end of that trip. And it was a blast. Like we talk about those stories. Yeah. And we've done like sibling trips since then. Oh, that's um, cool. And we just prioritize it. And people will often say, oh, it's nice that you could uh, afford a trip like that. And you're like, yeah, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for three years. Exactly. Saving up for it. You just, you make it a priority. You value it. And if you don't, that's fine too. Like yep. we just... We prefer to have bigger TVs or yep. newer cars. That's yep. fine. That's yep. totally fine. I just know that for me and my wiring, man, that those are some of the best memories that I share with, with my wife and with my siblings that we just, I think the article is spot on. We keep coming back to. And, of course, you know, come from a big Irish family, so the stories get grander and grander. Yeah. Like, I'm worried that 40 years from now, the, st- the stories will be so fabricated and so exaggerated. And I think... That's just part of the fun of yeah. of these experiences. And I'm sure your kids will do the same thing when they're your age now. Yep. Talking about, man, this three-week road trip with the family. 100%. My kids still talk about trips that we've taken. Really? And like you said, it's not like, oh, you must be the rich pastor and go on trips. No, we save like all year. You just make decisions. Yep. Yeah, you put it in your budget. And I would just say... If it's not a big trip because you can't get off of work or you can't do this stuff, then what are what are memories you can create in your kid, whether you're rich or poor? What are memories that you can create with your kid that they're going to remember 
Uh, and like the study says, will create joy years down the road as they look back on. Which, not to get too existential, I also think this is a good lesson for churches and communities, too, that we so often want to put all our dollars into items, right? Like, we got to have the newest this or the fanciest that when we're finding more and more. And those things aren't bad, right? To have a good camera, have a good sound system, whatever. All, those things are fine. Um, but what are we doing as faith communities to say, we, we, you'll never be able to replace, though, this experience of doing yep. community together. Yep. And if we're seeing that in brain science and we're seeing that in family systems, like, could that also be true for us that all the fancy items in the world can't hold a flame to, like, the power of what God that's does good. in our midst when we're actually, like, doing life together, which I think that's maybe, really good. maybe that's a helpful way for us to think about it. Well, speaking of really good experiences, <laughs> Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country, you could win the chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We are giving away a trip for two to Southern California's Harvest 2019 in Anaheim. I want to go. I know, me too. <laughs> Including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revelation, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. I heard a rumor you and I can't go. We can't win. I, I think uh, I think we just got to change our names. I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. That was smooth, by the way, the way that you worked that in. That was really yeah. solid. You're Thank good, you. You're good we're, at getting, this. we're getting good at this right now. <laughs> nah, you are, at least. <laughs> well, coming up next, the way that we end every show is just some uh, interweb insanity, some craziness that we found online. So... Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hello, you lovely people. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And as I mentioned, we end every show with just... Some insanity online, and the disclaimer that we always give is that we did not find these stories. Our executive producer did. He selects them. He comes up with the sound effects. We've not read them. We've not seen them. Sometimes they're horrific. Sometimes they're hilarious. Sometimes they're kind of heartwarming. That was three H's, yep. by the way. I feel like uh, my pastor brain is very happy. It was really that, well done. <laughs> so you roll out of bed doing it. That's true. I can't. I couldn't turn it off if I wanted to. So uh, here we go. Sight unseen. Brian Fromm, take us away. Vancouver, Canada. Oh. Woman brandishes machete in Costco parking spot dispute. Oh, my gosh. The two women started arguing over the parking stall when the driver who stole the space reached into her car and pulled out a machete. I mean, Costco can be pretty crazy on a Sunday or Saturday. A dispute over a parking spot outside of Vancouver Island Costco on Sunday led to one woman brandishing a machete. It was 1 p.m. at the Langford Big Box store, and one driver was about to pull into a space near the tire shop when she was cut off by an, oh, this is bad, by another female driver who whipped into the space. Oh, boy. The two women started arguing over the parking stall when the driver who stole the space reached into her car and pulled out a machete. The woman brandished the machete in a threatening manner. Is there any other kind? So the other woman backed away. I want to show you my machete. That's all. And called the police. They said anyone involved in a road rage incident shouldn't engage with the other party, parenthetically, specifically with the machete. People should find a safe spot to pull over and call 911. Wow. Nice. That's a nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reference. I don't think I've heard the word brandishing so many times in a long, long time. All right, Canada. Oh. Another Canada. All right. More than 300 cats found in single apartment. Holy. Hundreds of cats were found in a Toronto apartment in what animal officials are calling 
a perilous hoarding situation. It's the new name of our show. Actually. Perilous hoarding. <laughs> As opposed to just kind of moderate hoarding. Moderate hoarding, right? Toronto Cat Rescue discovered more than 300 cats in a single apartment on Saturday. Toronto Animal Services helped the organization remove 70 of those cats. What happened to the other 230? Don't want this to know. Is the, the, this is the second large cat hoarding situation we have been involved with in a month. It's very important that this not continue, Toronto Cat Rescue said in a statement on its website. The felines are now in foster care and are said to be doing well. They will be spayed or neutered and vaccinated before they're put up for adoption. Oh, God. I'm so uncomfortable. That was, that was <laughs> so that weird. Was Did we give the disclaimer already? Yes. Did you see the city allows a maximum of six cats in one home? That's weird that the city even has a limit, but apparently Um, it needs one. Washington, D.C. Near constant UFO sightings force new Navy procedure. Angry pilots have prompted the U.S. Navy to draft new guidelines about UFO sightings, but it seems that information will be kept from the public. There have been a number of reports of unauthorized and or unidentified aircraft entering various military-controlled ranges and designated airspaces in recent years. The Navy is updating and formalizing the process by which reports of any such suspected incursions can be made to the cognizant authorities. Uh, Until now, an official says possible UFO sightings were treated as anomalies to be ignored. But in the future, pilots will have formal procedures for documenting unexplained encounters per the Washington Post. You can't suppress the truth. The people have a right to know. Roswell. Roswell! (laughs) That was pretty good. All right, Ohio, another Taco Bell story. Woman blames Taco Bell nachos for alleged drunk driving incident. Don't drive and eat nachos at the same time. A woman in Ohio reportedly attempted to blame a near accident on her Taco Bell order. After nearly striking a police car, the suspect claimed that she had been taking a bite out of her nachos. Cleveland.com reports that the woman was driving a black Jeep in North Royalton, Ohio, on April 6th when the incident occurred. The police officer claims that uh, he had to swerve his vehicle to avoid being hit and pulled the woman over. And when asked her what happened, she held up a bag of Taco Bell and blamed the nachos. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. That seems fitting. Did you see the end of the article? She yeah. still failed the field sobriety test. Ugh. Well, unfortunate. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania barbershop pays kids to read aloud while getting a haircut. Oh, this is cool. going to be a nice one. I like it. Oh, good job, Keith. A Pennsylvania barbershop is aiming to teach confidence to kids by offering them $3 to read aloud while getting their hair cut. The City Cuts Barbershop in Cutstown, nice. <laughs> everybody wants to have a barbershop in Cutstown, <laughs> announced the Books by Kids program, which offers young customers $3 to read a book to their barber while getting their hair cut. That's awesome. Owner Jonathan Esqueda said the idea behind the program is to build kids' confidence by giving them experience with public speaking. He said the program was inspired by research indicating that a high percentage of adults fear public speaking. Today, Junior! Oh, no. It was a feel-good story, and we ended it. That is Billy Madison, though. Billy Madison's good. I mean, you can't go wrong with Billy Madison, except in this case. Right, right, right. Asterix, that just happened. Yes. Oh well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Never a dull moment here at the Common Good. We uh, are excited that you've joined us today, and we hope that you'll join us again tomorrow from four to six p.m. right here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.